it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Complex the Queens, Homer and Apple Sources Minor League Podcast. I'm Steve Saipa, and I will be joined by Lucas Vlahos, Ken Levin, and Thomas Henderson in a little bit. But we're going to immediately just jump right into the Mets minor league affiliates and how they did this week. So the Syracuse Mets, they played the Buffalo Bisons, and it wasn't a great week for them. But then again, what week has been a good week for Syracuse? They lost the series. They went 2-4. and four. So they are 6-14 and 14 in the second half now, which is seven games behind the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs. And for as bad as Syracuse is, at least they aren't the Charlotte Knights, uh, which is the White Sox AAA team. First half of the season ended June 25th, so that's roughly a month ago at this point. And the Knights have won only three games. Three games. They're playing the Memphis Redbirds right now as I record this. Maybe they pull out a victory, but even if they do, then that means they won, whoa, a whole four games. Um, You know, Syracuse, they have six games. That's not that much better, but still, you know, my rationale is no matter how bad Syracuse is doing, no matter how bad the Mets teams are doing in general, as long as it's a team that's doing worse than them, at least we could always say that the Mets team isn't the worst, so... Syracuse will have that for the time being. Binghamton Rumble Ponies. They played the Erie Seawolves, the Detroit Tigers' AA affiliate this week. It's the first time they played them all year. And they split the series three games apiece. Um, Binghamton had some pretty good pitching this week. Two of those three wins were shutouts. The first one was on Wednesday night. Um, Jose Chassin, he threw five-plus innings, and the bullpen finished things up. And then the second shutout, which was Sunday afternoon, uh, Christian Scott, he threw four innings, and then the bullpen did the rest. Um, Also notable, this is a pretty crazy stat, um, that Sunday game, the whole thing, it took one hour and 59 minutes, which I think is even crazier considering both teams used four pitches apiece. So the pitch clock is working. So anyway, with a uh, three and three week, the Rumble Ponies are now seven and thirteen in the second half, which is seven and a half games behind the Portland Sea Dogs, and just a game in front of the New Hampshire Fisher Cats for not just worst in the division, but worst in the league. Brooklyn Cyclones now they played the Hudson Valley Renegades and they took the series four to two, and they're continuing their strong second half. They are now 17-7 and seven in the second half. Um, they are 7-3 and three in their last 10 games. And it's a good thing that the Cyclones have been as hot as they have been because the Aberdeen, Aberdeen Ironbirds are breathing down their throats. Aberdeen is 16-7, and seven, and they've gone 8-2 and two in their last 10. So Brooklyn is just has a slight lead over them. The Cyclones are going to be taking on the Wilmington Blue Rocks, 
this upcoming week. While the Iron Birds are going to be playing the Jersey Shore Blue Claws. So I guess Brooklyn has a little bit of a little bit of an advantage. Not a lot, but a little bit. Um, Brooklyn is um, ten and fourteen. Excuse me, the Blue Claws are ten and fourteen, and the Blue Rocks are eight and sixteen. So the Blue Claws are a little bit of a better team than the Blue Rocks. So advantage Brooklyn. Um, Brooklyn also played the Blue Rocks earlier this month. And they went 5-1 and one against them. And Aberdeen, on the totality of the season, is 3-9 against the Blue Claws in two series. So, again, slight advantage, Brooklyn. St. Lucie Mets, they played the Palm Beach Cardinals. And I don't really know what's going on down in Florida this week. Uh, but if you look at the schedule, the three games were suspended and postponed and everything. So, I guess crazy weather. But they got in all their games... Um, St. Lucie went two and four in total, so they are eight and sixteen in the second half, and that puts them four games behind the Jupiter Hammerheads, and they are tied with the same Palm Beach Cardinals they just played for dead last in the division. Finally, not certainly last, certainly not least, the FCL Mets. They went three and one. Um and they also have one outstanding game to be played on Monday, again, I guess due to all that crazy weather down in Florida this week. All right, so in the wake of the 2023 draft, this week we are going to make up um, informal midseason prospect list updates. So if you f- if you follow the site over the years, you probably noticed that we don't do midseason prospect lists like other other sites do. Um, personally. I'm against them. Um, in my mind, I think it's kind of hard to define exactly what a midseason prospect list is. You know, what exactly is it supposed to accomplish? Like, are you taking the already established list and you're just re-ranking things based on performance up to that point? Are you ignoring the preseason list and you're just kind of making like a wholesale, just completely new rankings? You know, have some of column A, try all column B. I don't know. It's all very vague. It's a, it's a very vague and amorphous concept. So that's why I've never had us do like an official mid-season update. But, you know, the podcast, this is very informal. So I said, you know what, why not? So we talked a little bit. Um, myself, Lucas, Kenneth Thomas. We didn't have any like in-depth debates. Um, we didn't hammer out any conclusive consensuses about so and so and and whoever else so all these lists were made pretty much independent of each other uh i i think it's better that way because it means that you know we we get um you know amalgamation of of everyone's different views instead of just everything being decided upon by one or two opinions and the Mets system being very not good being pretty bad not i'm not gonna beat around the bush being pretty bad um you know really being a bottom tier system it makes things like this uh, a bit more interesting because there really aren't any like absolute slam dunks you know it's not like the mets have in the system like they did early in this year the number one prospect in baseball overall francisco alvarez and ranking him 
other than number one, it would be hard to justify without, you know, uh, someone just being a complete troll. So it makes it interesting because, you know, we all have differences in terms of what we look for, um, what we penalize, what we give more weight to, what we give less weight to, all that stuff becomes, you know, more apparent in our individual rankings. And then, you know, when we combine things, it all gets averaged out. So it's interesting to to see everyone everyone's individual thoughts and and you know methodology. So uh, without further ado, here's Lucas, Ken, and Thomas on their updated top ten prospects for twenty twenty three. Hey everyone, uh, Lucas here. I'm going to go through my mid season or post draft top ten, whatever we're calling this. Uh, I'm not the name Sky Steve is. Um, I will say up front, just I want to level set for this exercise. First off, I don't think I or anybody took as much time uh, as we would for the offseason 25 putting this list together. Um, to me, the mid-season, uh, mid-season lists are always much more of a personal vamping. Uh, for lack of a better term, this is going to be a lot closer to a pref list for me than necessarily a strict prospect ranking. Um, so, I mean, full disclosure to my process, I'll usually like start by writing down all the names I could conceivably rank. So if we're doing a top 25, I'd write down basically any interesting name in the system. Um, and then prune from there and sort. Uh, I kind of did the same thing here without digging as deep and then and then pruned and sorted and, and ended up on a top 10 that I'm most comfortable with or that I feel is, is correct. Now, the next step I would usually take is looking around at more consensus opinions, uh, asking a couple people what they think and trying to understand why I might disagree and whether I have strong justifications for that disagreement. So that's the general process I work through when making a list. I really skipped that last step here um, because, again, this is a mid-season list. It's kind of a fun post-draft update. I think it's interesting to give this different perspective at times and say this is what I like feel or what I think uh, uh, just on my own and without hedging to to industry consensus or to other sources. Um, and then come off-season list, I'll probably hold a lot of these same opinions, um, but it'll be more tempered by uh, conventional knowledge. So that's the whole big caveat uh, uh, here. Let me run through the top 10. I'm going to give you all 10 names up front and then talk through them uh, bit by bit. Uh, at one, no surprise to anyone, I've got Jet Williams. Uh, second, Mike Vassell. Number three, uh, the Bets' first round or, or belated first round pick, Colin Houck. Fourth, Kevin Parada. Fifth, and here's where things are going to start to get spicy. Uh, Jacob Reimer is checking in at fifth for me. Uh, sixth, Christian Scott. Uh, seventh, and I am ranking him. Don't, don't at me. Uh, seventh would be Ronnie Mauricio. Um, at eighth, I'd have Blade Tidwell. Uh, at ninth, Mark Vientos. And then at 10th, and keep in mind that the last spot on the list is usually a space to just slot someone you want to talk about in, uh, at 10th I put Matt Rudick, um, who might not necessarily be the 10th best prospect in the system. I probably should have put like Brendan Sprout here or something, but I really like Matt Rudick. I want an excuse to talk about Matt Rudick, so I'm going to talk about Matt Rudick. Um, so those are my top 10. 
running through them from top to bottom here, just in order. Jet, I don't think really needs any explanation. He started a little slow, has picked it up lately. He's shown a really great eye at the plate. He's running a lot. Uh, the exit velo is pretty good for the age and level. Um, he's hit the ball on the ground too much, which is unsurprising, but overall, uh, he's batting 245, 425, 392. He's got nearly as many walks as strikeouts. You want the power to come up. Um, but there's 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 a lot to like here, and this is perhaps not the meteoric rise I would have expected for him. He's not hitting the ball uh, as hard as I thought he would necessarily, or not in the air as much. How much of that is him, and how much of that is the Mets failing to develop those skills? It's an open question. Um, I'm still all the way in on Jed. He's far and away the best prospect in the system for me. Uh, number two, Mike Vassell. Again, I think this is going to be pretty pretty consensus. Vassell's had a, a nice breakout year. He's not breaking out to the extent that, say, Chase Hampton is for the Yankees or that Tanner Bybee, Bibby, whatever, did for the Guardians the year prior. Um, but he's had a really nice nice run, and I'm not too concerned about the, the AAA stats. Like, it's it's 23 innings. I know it's six starts, and it's an ugly ERA. Um, I'll need more data there. Also, AAA is playing like the moon, a fact that we'll, we'll get to in a little bit. Uh, I'm not too concerned. I see like a number four, maybe a number three starter here if he can stay healthy and, and continue to make strides. This is a nice little uh, 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 boon for the system. Not a top 100 guy, I don't think, uh, but has made some nice steps forward. Uh, at three, I slotted in Callan Houck. I really don't know what to do with Houck right like it's a very uh a bimodal distribution of outcomes here right like he could quite possibly be a top 50 or better prospect in the offseason list cycle if he comes out and looks good in the complex he could also keep swinging and missing and he's not really someone of note like this is just kind of what happens with this profile we don't have any additional information on him i slotted him here because i didn't feel like thinking about it any harder you could put him I think it's defensible to put him anywhere between two and five in the system uh, without, uh, uh, and you won't really get any protests from me at this point just because of the wide range of outcomes. Uh, third, we have Kevin Parada. I know he's hit well lately. He's got his OPS back above 800, I believe, in, in Brooklyn. Uh, he's got a 120 weight of runs created plus on the year. He's got 10 homers. If he was doing that, and I was still confident he was a catcher, he'd probably be number two in the system. And there'd be an argument to put him number one. But I think the consensus is that he really is not going to be a catcher. He just can't stay behind the dish. And in that case, he's probably a first baseman or left fielder, and you're going to need more offense than this, right? Like, this is a level where a bat of his caliber should have come in and dominated uh, uh, from the get-go. Um, and that really didn't happen. He's still got a little bit of a funky setup that I would like the Mets to change. They haven't helped the defense. Like, the stock's down, no doubt. Um, there's still an avenue to being a reductive major leaguer here. And catcher defense is weird, right? I won't totally rule out the possibility that he actually makes it work back there. Um, but at least for the moment, the stock is, is down. It's been a bit of a disappointing year. Okay, so that's the top four. Nothing too crazy in there. Um... Now, now we get to the sort of interesting stuff, and I'm going to talk a little bit out of order just so I can draw the contrasts I want to. Um, so I've obviously put Jacob Reimer fifth, I slotted Ronnie Mauricio seventh, and I put Mark Vientos ninth. And I'm sure uh, there's going to be a lot of uh, 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 yelling at this point about 
me hating Ronnie Mauricio and Mark Vientos' prospects about the podcast as a whole being down on these guys who are putting up AAA stats. There is no denying that they are putting up AAA stats. Um, and yet, I've got a guy who's down in A-ball uh, posting good but not amazing results, uh, and I have him slotted at 5. So, let me back away from the players for a moment and share this perspective. Uncertainty is better than bad data, right? By which I mean an unknown result is better than seeing a negative result, right? Because, yeah, you don't know what that unknown result is, but once you have evidence that something is bad and that's something that needs to be improved upon, uh, that's pulling you the wrong way in terms of, of the likely outcomes or the long-term outcomes. Are you getting to what this means probabilistically? I don't want to do that, but that's my general philosophy here, right? That if I see that, that sometimes an unknown is more valuable than having data, um, and that's really what I'm looking at here. Jacob Brimer is doing some nice things in A-ball. He's not hitting the ball as hard as I'd like. His max exit velo is only like 107. He's hitting the ball into the ground way too often. Right? They're, these are similar problems to Jet, though Jet is better. And Brimer obviously doesn't have that athleticism. Um, but he's showing excellent plate discipline. Um, he's still only 19. He's got a 122 weighted uh, runs created plus in uh, uh, St. Lucie. These are all things to to be happy with, and I'm generally more of the opinion that you can improve power uh, than you can plate discipline. I think that's something that that is teachable. So I'm looking at Reimer, and he obviously has no track record of upper minors performance, but I also don't know that he has drastic flaws in the upper minors that he has not corrected over years. And that is the exact opposite of what we have with Ronnie Mauricio and Mark Vientos, right? Mauricio... I know he's got huge numbers in AAA. AAA baseball is basically being played on the surface of the moon this year, and he still is not improving his plate discipline or swing decisions at all. He still he has Ronnie Mitchell has excellent exit velocities, right? Not not tippy top of the scale. He's not Ellie De La Cruz, but he's got really nice exit velos, and he has quite good bat to ball. Those are nice skills. He makes horrific swing decisions. Right, he swings at stuff he shouldn't. He makes a lot of contact that's on the ground or weak. Uh, he doesn't strike out that much because the bat-to-ball is so good, but he just never walks. This is stuff that will get exploited at the major league level. Right, is already being exploited to an extent in AAA. Right, his his line is he only has a 106 weighted runs graded plus on the season. Right, so despite 16 homers and 15 steals and a 295 average, he's only been 6% better than league average. Right. If he was a legit prospect, he'd be a lot better than that, right, with these athletic tools. Um, and this is the long-standing problem with Mauricio, getting back to the, the negative results point, right? This is something we've seen him consistently struggle with since he came, since he first was really a notable prospect. The constant refrain has been, Ronnie Mauricio needs to improve his swing decisions. And year on year on year, he has not done so. At some point... You have to think, okay, it's just not going to happen. Uh, and, and given that, I'd rather have the uncertainty associated with Reimer than I would the known, in my opinion, crippling flaw with Mauricio. And this is to say nothing of the fact that he's trending towards a corner defender. Like, he's not a shortstop. He's probably not really a second baseman. We're looking at a corner outfield third baseman type, and that's that's not exactly something to get excited about. Um, 
Much of the same applies to Mark Vientos, who, unlike Mauricio, actually has been excellent in AAA, right? He's got a 140 weighted runs created plus in AAA at my last checking, but the, the pro, his flaws are, are much more uh, scouting flavor than, than something that you can easily perceive off his Fangraphs page. His swing is just not geared to uh, hit the ball in the air uh, uh, consistently. Uh, he gets beat up t- up high by fastballs. It, 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 he's trending towards a, a quad A outcome. I'll also add another caveat here, and obviously Vientos is extremely defensively limited. That doesn't need to be uh, uh, commented on further. Uh, just strikes out too much, can't make enough contact, and doesn't get to his power in the air. The caveat here is that if Ronnie Mauricio, and in particular Mark Vientos, were in a different organization, I think I'd be a lot higher on them. I don't know that I'd ever be high on Mauricio. That might be too much because the ability to develop plate discipline, I'm not sure that any organization has really cracked that. But Mark Vientos is a very obvious swing change guy. right? If you can get him to uh, get on top of fastballs up in the zone a bit more, loft the ball a bit more, uh, you'd have a nice little player. You'd have a better version of J.D. Davis, maybe. He might be even worse in a corner outfield spot, which is hard to believe, but... There is a path I can imagine Mark Vientos taking to becoming a, a decent major leaguer, but the Mets have just never demonstrated an ability to do this. They haven't. They didn't demonstrate it with past organization or with past uh, uh, management. They haven't demonstrated it with current management. Um, I just have no confidence in their ability to actually identify and institute a a functional swing change for for uh vientos that really changes uh his projection which sucks for the player and it sucks for the org right because i think there are traits here um so that that's the caveat i'm throwing on these rankings i'd put vientos a lot higher if he was in an org that was better at this like i'd love to see what the cardinals would do with mark vientos that'd be really interesting to me um but as is he's he's only checking in at nine for me so that was a, a long diatribe on why I have Reimer, Mauricio, and Vientos sorted as I do. Um, and I will say this is me a little bit higher on on Mauricio, right? I can squint and imagine a major league outcome because maybe he makes enough contact and and has enough power and enough speed to be like a better Jordani Valdespin. Uh peak Jonathan VR uh, without the defense I don't know I, I don't I really don't know what to make but there, there's an out there's a path here um, I'm just not particularly optimistic those are the hitters and I will get to Rudick in a moment um, now the pitchers I put Christian Scott as the highest uh, as the next pitcher behind Vassal here and I think he's really being slept on um, He's been quite good in double-A, a lot better than than Tyler Stewart, for instance. Tyler Stewart is a nice developmental gain for the system. He also does not have a pitch that's going to consistently miss bats. I don't know that he's going to survive the test of double-A. Scott, meanwhile, is striking out more than a batter per inning, barely walking anyone, and has a 3.22 ERA over 36 innings in double-A after dominating... Uh, in Brooklyn to the same extent that Stewart was. So Scott, I think, is the real breakout pitcher uh, uh, in the system. If you don't want to, if you are, were already high on Vassal or after Vassal, however you want to regard that, um, I think the stuff will play. I think he's being slept on a bit. I really like the, the, the slider um, 
maybe it's a bullpen piece, maybe it's a back-end starter, um, but I think of the non-vassal arms in the system, he is the one who's had the best year so far. Um, that puts him above, at least for me at the moment, uh, Blade Tidwell, who I was very high on coming into the season and, and has been quite a disappointment. Similar to Parada, he's really come on lately, he's been better. But also like Parada, sending Blade Tidwell to Brooklyn, he should have dominated that assignment from the jump, and he did not. Um, he's still walking too many batters. He's striking out the world because no one at that level is going to touch his slider if he's throwing it anywhere close to the zone. Like that That's just the reality. Um, I still think there's a, a, a potential future here for Tidwell. Um, I think he can be a starter. The, uh, the gains lately have been good, but I don't think there's any way you can look at the totality of the season and not be down on him uh, a bit based on where we were preseason. And if you'll recall, I thought he might be pushing for a top 100 spot preseason. So this is definitely uh, a disappointing outcome for someone I thought was going to be a lot better. Not out on him by any means, uh, but but there's work to do here. There's more to do here. I also don't think the Mets have really helped his fastball shape much at all, but we'll, we'll see what they do with that going forward. And then lastly, Matt Rudick. And I think I've waxed poetic about Matt Rudick a couple times, uh, or, or at least bantered about it with the, the other guys several times at this point. He's been working his way back from an injury for a little bit. He actually got in one rehab game and then hasn't played again since, which is slightly concerning. But looking at his double-A line, it is something that I'm classically going to love and or overrate. He's walking more than he's striking out. He's added power. He hit nine home runs and 253 plate appearances. He's stealing bases. You probably don't want him playing center field. Like, I can live with it if you want. He's probably a corner outfielder profile, so he might be something of a tweener. Um, and I am by no means making this comp because Brandon Nimmo was a much more athletic, better player. But I feel like we say the same thing about a lot of these guys who are plate discipline forward, limited power, questionable athleticism for the, for the defensive aspect, and we wind up underrating them as they move up the ladder because we just assume it won't translate. Rudick has always been good at this. Rudick has always been a very disciplined hitter. He added significant power this year. He's not a 156 weighted runs created plus guy, but if he can be 10% better than league average, it's a nice platoon bat. That's a really nice win. I think he's better than that. I think there's more in the profile here, or at least there's enough of a chance of it that I'm going to stick him in the back of the, my uh, midseason top 10 here. Um, really hope he gets back soon. I don't actually know too much about that injury. Like We just haven't heard uh, a lot on the uh, of news on that front. Hopefully it's nothing serious. I'd like to see him get to AAA for a little bit at the end of the year. Health. the Mets uh, trade Mark Hanna and Tommy Pham and they can get uh, uh, Rudick healthy. I wouldn't hate giving him a shot in the bigs either. So um, yeah, just, just a, a profile I'm always going to be a, a big fan of. So recapping one final time here, uh, my top 10 goes Jet Williams, Mike Vassell, Colin Howe, Kevin Parada, Jacob Reimer, uh, Christian Scott at six, Ronnie Mauricio, Blade Tidwell, Mark Fiantos, and then finally Matt Rudick rounding out the top 10. Uh, going to be interesting to see how much this changes when we repeat this exercise in the offseason. Hi everyone, this is Ken, and uh, I'm going to share my current uh, top 10 prospects in the Mets system after the draft. Uh, so at number one, uh, I firmly believe Jet Williams has leapfrog Kevin Parada as the best prospect in the system. Um, he's having a, a pretty good year at the plate. Um, 
even if the power hasn't quite been there. He's walking almost as much as he's striking out. He's been about 135 uh, WRC plus, you know, significantly above average despite being young for the Florida State League. Uh, he's 19, about two years younger than the average player. Um, you know, it was um, a relatively close call, uh, which one of the two draftees uh, from last year was going to be the best prospect in the system once um, Alvarez, Batty, and Senga graduated. Uh, but I think it's it's pretty clear now that uh, Williams is the better of the two prospects. Uh, after Williams, uh, I think I'm going to go with Mike Vassell. Uh, he's really come on strong this year. He's probably the best pitching prospect in the upper minors, definitely. Uh, probably the system as a whole. So, you know, he's likely going to get big league time this year, uh, assuming he can continue to um, or start riding the ship uh, in AAA. But uh, arms with big league utility, especially close to the majors, uh, you know, I'd probably keep him up there uh, at number two. Uh, number three, I'm going to go with Kevin Parada. Um, still a very good prospect, but uh, there's been questions about how his uh, glove will play and whether he'll be able to stick behind the dish. Uh, I haven't seen him too much this year behind the plate. Uh, it's also a weak point of mine, catcher defense. But uh, um, I'm not super confident that the bat can hit... Um, you know, to the level of a uh, elite third baseman. So, whereas if he's a catcher, um, you know, there's some wiggle room with the bat. Uh, if he has to move to third, first, corner outfield, uh, he's really going to have to hit. And uh, while he's been good, he's been about 20% uh, above league average, um, about a year young for the Sally League. Um, he hasn't really crushed the ball. And, um, you know, anytime defensive concerns come up uh, with, uh, you know, especially an up-the-middle prospect, how uh, their prospect status is going to take a, a little bit of a dive. Um, not too bad. Again, he's been, he's been good at the plate, about 270, 350, 450, uh, triple slash. Um, but he's not exactly killing the ball. And uh, for a guy who was supposed to have... Uh, not insignificant value uh, from his defensive game. Um, he's had kind of a disappointing season from, from that regard. We're not looking um, super polished back there. After him is the new draftee, Colin Houck. Um, you know, Houck's a pretty good, pretty, pretty good prospect. Um, you know, I'm particularly excited about his uh, athleticism. I think, um, yeah, no, I mean, I, I don't have too much to say about him. He, he's a good good pick for where they got him. Um was surprised that he went for slot. And, um, you know, he's clearly in the, uh, clearly a top five prospect uh, in, in the system. So after him, I went with uh, Blade Tidwell. Um, Tidwell's having... You know, pretty good season. Memory serves. And, um, you know, I've always kind of liked the stuff. He throws pretty hard. Um, 
The big concern with him this year has been command. That's why he's not the top pitching prospect in in the system. You know, he's been okay from a run prevention perspective, but he's allowing entirely too many base runners. And, um, you know, while the strikeouts are great, uh, it's difficult to maintain success up the organizational ladder, walking more than five per nine. Um, you know, there's some reliever risk, so uh, definitely prefer Vassal to him in terms of uh, top pitching prospects in the system. After Tidwell at number six, I'm going to go with Ronnie Mauricio. Um, you know, hitting in AAA uh, means something, even if, um, you know, the profile, even if the offensive environment is... Uh, you know, elevated, and even if uh, the same concerns everyone has always had with him are still present. He, uh, the power, you know, certainly looks like it has a chance to play, even if uh, not to his full ability because of upswing and miss and not being able to make enough contact. Um, it's kind of remarkable he's hitting 295, 340, 511, and uh, that, that's just a league average line <laughs> in AAA right now. Um, yeah, so this is more about guys in front of him graduating, um, but he's also kind of held his own. He's, uh, hit 16 homers to date. That That's pretty good. He's cut his strikeouts a little bit, and, um, you know, we'll see. He's either going to be able to make enough contact to get the power to play, uh, or he's not. You know, there's some good bat-to-ball there, but, uh, pitch recognition is still a problem, and, um, with this kind of contact profile or plate discipline profile, you need to see it work at the big league level. But uh, we're starting to get into the part of the list where, um, you know, just being a potential big league regular or uh, a big league contributor is, um, you know, warrants your, your place higher on the, the top 10. After him, I've got Christian Scott. Uh, Christian Scott kind of popped onto the scene this year. I don't have too, too much to say about him, but uh, in a system bereft of pitching prospects, uh, striking out almost 10 per nine and walking under two in the high minors uh, will get you noticed. So, um, Christian Scott, I have at seven. After him, uh, I went with Jacob Reimer, uh, our podcast's probably favorite, uh, you know, late prep pick. Um from the, the 22 draft. Um, Reimer has really hit pretty well. Um, same kind of deal as Williams. There hasn't been quite as much power as you'd like, but uh, he's very young for the level, two years uh, younger than the average player, and uh, he's got an almost 400 uh, on-base percentage. So uh, he's doing something well. I just want to look up his fan graphs line. So can put that in perspective. Yeah, so he's walking at about twelve percent of twelve and a half percent of his plate appearances. That's very good, and uh, at about twenty-two percent above league average. So, both things you like to see, even if the power hasn't quite come along. Uh, but he's a young kid. He's likely he's going to fill out a little more, and. Um, you know, I'd expect more power to come as he continues to uh, get comfortable in professional ball. After him is Mark Vientos. Uh, again, uh, if you're a guy who has a potential big league role, 
or uh, potential to make the big leagues at this part of the list, um, you know, you probably belong there given the state of the system and uh, the guys, the other guys uh, around him. That being said, uh, Vientos, he's been very good at AAA, uh, about 41% above league average. He's proven that he can hit AAA pitching and, and hit it hard. Um, but he's, you know, kind of struggled in limited opportunities so far in the big leagues. And, um, you know, he's another guy that I'm, I'm going to have to see him hit before, uh, you know, I start hitting against big league pitching, I should say, before, um, you know, I start getting super excited. But he's got a potential big league role, and that says something for this part of the list. And then finally, uh, at number 10, I've got Braden Sprout. Uh, I like Sprout. I saw him a little bit at Florida towards the beginning of the season. Uh, he throws hard. Uh, there's the makings of a half-decent breaking ball. But, uh, uh, but um, he has little idea where it's going, and um, there's significant reliever risk. So, you know, we'll see. Uh, but I, I liked, uh, despite the weirdness of it, um, you know, picking a guy who uh, publicly decided not to sign and was upset that, um, you know, with his, bo- his bonus demands wouldn't be met. Um, once you get past the weirdness, I've always kind of like, I've kind of had like a, a soft spot for him. So um, I like Sprout. I think he's one of the better pitching prospects in the system, even if there's a good chance he ends up contributing more in a relief role. Um, so. Yeah, that's my top 10. Hey guys, Thomas here. Um, coming in with my mid-season top 10. I like doing this stuff. I find it interesting, and I think it makes your off-season top 10s a little easier. So I always like doing this on my own, so it's fun to do it for the podcast. So let's just get into it. Number one is Jet Williams. I think that's pretty obvious. Playing shortstop and center field, an easy move to second base if he has to. I think he could play a little bit of short, enough where he can be like a backup type, shortstop backup type thing. If he's your starting second baseman or maybe he even shifts to full-time outfield, I think you could kind of bend over him a little bit if you want to do that and get him in the lineup every day in different spots. Second, short, the entire outfield. By the time he's up, Lindor is going to be a little older, so it'll be nice to give him more days off. Maybe Lindor DHs more or whatever. But really, Jet has been really good in the second half, uh, hitting 290 over his last 21 games, walking more than he's striking out, walking 20% of the time overall. Just a nice profile, and it's nice to see him getting better and improving as the season has gone on. Number two is Mike Vassell, and I think that says a little more about Parada than Vassell, because I think the top three are very clearly Jet. Vassal, Parada. I don't think anyone else comes close to getting in that group. But I think Vassal is a little bit boring. I think Parada has the chance to have a higher ceiling than him and get over him, but right now I can't in good conscience put him there with how their seasons have gone. Vassal is probably a third, a three to fifth, a third to fifth starter. Nothing wrong with that. I don't see top of the rotation upside with him. You don't need every pitcher to have top of the uh, uh, rotation upside. Look at the Braves. They do this a lot where they have a lot of guys who come up and are good pitchers. Even if they're not great pitchers, that's more than enough. And the Mets really need guys like that. And I think Vassal has taken enough steps forward to be an interesting enough guy where you're going to give him starts as soon as next year, I think. And then you could really see if he's just a 
uh, that you stick in your rotation and you set it and forget it. And you can either spend money on the top of the rotation guy because the Mets will need one of those. Or you could kind of spread the money around it is what it is. But it's just one less pitcher to sign. And as we've seen this year, you shouldn't really be signing five veteran pitchers because things can go sideways very fast with that. With their with the age and the amount of mileage on their arms by the time you get there. By the time they get to free agency. Third on my list is Kevin Prada, like I just said. And the reason why Prada is not higher than Vassal is because his defense is very not good at catcher. He looks not great back there. That doesn't mean he can't get to okay and that doesn't mean he can't get to the type of guy who you could DH and move around and stuff. But if he's not catching full-time, it hurts his profile. It just does. That doesn't mean it's a bad profile. That just means it's a little less exciting than you would want to see. Because if he has to play second base or he has to play the outfield or he has to do something else, it's just a little less exciting because there's just a little more of those guys throughout the league. The reason why someone like Francisco Alvarez was such a high-end catching prospect was because the power that he is per- showing in the major leagues now is rare. Most catchers cannot hit. They can only play defense. Now, I think they should probably move Parada off catcher because on the flip side of this is that you could get him to the majors much quicker. He's already 21. If you And he'll be, since he's in Brooklyn now, he'll be in Binghamton next year. He should probably be in Binghamton already with how good he's been recently. Um, move him to second base or the outfield now and start getting him ready because then by next year he can be in the majors, honestly. Maybe that sounds extremely uh, aggressive, but if you're not catching him, that's a whole lot of development he does not have to do because catching is obviously the hardest thing to develop, otherwise there would be more of them. Number four is newly drafted Colin Houck, and the reason why he is four is I think it says a lot more about the rest of these guys than it does about Colin Houck. But whenever a team drafts a top 15 to 20-ish prospect, puts them in their system, and the system is as bad as the Mets, he's going to be high, and I think four is the good spot for him because I think it's a good tier break. Where I think there's three top prospects that the Mets have, their three best prospects are Jet, Vassal, and Parada, and then you could tier break it with Hauk, the new guy who we haven't seen at all yet, and then we could kind of get into the rest of it. Now the rest of it, number five, is Roddy Mauricio. Ronnie Mauricio, it's another Ronnie Mauricio season, even though it looks a little better, but I think we, and we, as terms of fans, that I see a lot of discourse about him should should be in the majors, and he should be playing second base today, and he should be in the outfield today, and da-da-da-da. I don't think he should be in the majors this year, even though he's hitting 295, 340, 511, and I think that has to do a lot with how the league is this year. The league's triple eight, the, the, the international league slash line for the 20 teams in the inter, international league is 263, 358-443. So if you look at his numbers, he is still below average in on-base percentage. He has a higher average than most, and he has a higher slugging than most. It's the same Ronnie Mauricio season we've been having, but the ball is, I don't know what is going on in AAA with baseball. I don't know if it's the quality of pitchers. I don't know if it's the baseballs they're using. I don't know if all of a sudden they shipped all these players to the moon to play baseball. But the ball is flying off the bat. Because a 295, 340, 511 slash line is barely above league average per weighted runs created plus. It's only a 106. 
He's still only walking 5% of the time. The strikeouts have gone down 6%, which is great, to 17%. You could be a major leaguer with those slash lines. But there's still huge issues in his profile. He still swings and misses too much. He still isn't a great defender because his best position, in my opinion, is still shortstop. And he's not an amazing shortstop. He needs to be moved off off, off of it, especially because he's he's ready as soon as next year. So it's his approach is a huge concern. The fact that second base hasn't really he hasn't taken to second base is a problem because that limits what he could do. He hasn't taken to the outfield yet, which is a problem because it limits what he could do. And that if the Mets call him up. After the deadline, which I can absolutely see if they DFA, if they trade Fam or Cano or whoever, then he could really only DH right now, and he's a better left-handed hitter than a right-handed hitter. So finding playing time is going to be really tough for him. Maybe they trade Vogelback, maybe they DFA him, and just kind of eat getting nothing back for him. But I just don't, I don't see a reason to rush this when he still has huge concerns. You could give him a real shot to make the team next year, but he, I think. The reason why I have him over Vientos and a few other people is I think that you could have him hit his way into a utility role where he's kind of like a he's kind of like a first bat off the bench and could stand at a few positions. That's valuable and play DH a little bit. Definitely valuable. I'm not saying it's not valuable, but I don't think I think there's a lot of nuance in his profile that people aren't seeing because they see 295, 340, and 511 and think, oh, that's amazing because that's an amazing stat line in baseball. And it normally is, but the way Triple Triple A this is, is this year makes that way less impressive than you think. It's basically the same WRC plus as it was last year in Double A when he hit 259, 296, 472. The league is just worse, and it's way nicer to hitters, and that's why... It's that is not as impressive as it seems. I am higher on him than a few other guys on this list. Maybe it's surprising, maybe it's not, but we can get into that as we go. Blade Tidwell is my number six prospect. Yes, number six prospect. And he could, I could be convinced to put him higher than Mauricio, but I'm not a huge fan of his profile before the season. I think a lot of what I was worried about was he has one good pitch and it's a slider and that's great, but you need to be able to locate a fastball. And every time I've seen him, it's been problems doing that. He's been way better in the second half of the year, way better enough in the second half of the year where I think they may have figured something out with his stuff and he's landing a lot more of his things. And if that's the case, then he is a very interesting pitching prospect. Not saying that I'm closing the door to that. Of course I'm not, but I want to see a little more before I crown him any higher on this list. Because I think that Ronnie Mauricio can make a... I, I, I think there's a lot of reliever downside with Tidwell, and that worries me to rank him this high, to be honest. That's really it. Overall, I think one of the things that's going to jump out is his 5.05 walks per nine. That is way too high. His 12 point, he has also a 12.56K per nine. Perfect. Keep doing that. If he gets those walks down keeps those strikeouts up, then it's something very interesting, but he has to do that first, and he has to do that consistently. If he does do that consistently, then I'm definitely probably going to rank him higher this time next year type thing. Seven is Mark Vientos, and Mark Vientos has been very good in AAA this year. I do not want to say that he hasn't. I think that would be doing a disservice to him. Hitting 307, 386, 614, which is a 141 WRC+. 
amazing. We love to see it. He still has a lot of problems in his profile. He, I don't think he's a, I don't think he can play in the field. I know this is a, he's done it a little bit in the majors. He's done it in the minor leagues. He's been in the third baseman for a while. He played a lot of third bases here. I don't think he's very good at it. I don't think he's, he could play first base. It's not the worst thing in the world, but Pete Alonso was there. You're not playing him at first base. I think you could DH him, and maybe you DH him every day for the rest of the season to see what happens. But historically, I know this year it has not been true, and he has ironed out the splits that he has. He's even been a little better against Fridays this year. But overall, historically, righties dice him up. And I think that we need to talk about the context of how bad AAA is when we talk about his splits, because someone who, to see such a huge jump in his splits against righties, as the league is obviously getting worse pitching or getting better for hitting, however you want to put it, it's interesting to me. And it makes me think that he's just doing the same things against righties, and he's getting better results because the league is worse. That doesn't mean he doesn't deserve a shot. I'm not the biggest fan of him. I've never been the biggest fan of him. I think he's limited as a DH-only platoon guy, and I don't really know what you do with that in 2023 MLB baseball. But I think they need to try to see what it is, and we could just move on from there. I could definitely be wrong. I've been wrong about plenty of things. I'm not saying that I'm 100% right. I'm saying that I don't really... I think he's an interesting player because I don't know what you do with him. And his... His big issues in the minor leagues that I've seen from 2017, because I was looking at this stuff back then until when he was drafted, until now, you're seeing his problems in the majors that you saw in AA and below. And it makes me think that it's because the league in AAA is so bad. You're seeing the swing and miss issues. You're seeing the ground ball issues. You're seeing the inability to walk. You're seeing he's not really hitting for power at all. He's not driving the ball really at all. A lot of his hits, he's getting some hits. He went three for six yesterday, on Saturday, yesterday to know when we're recording these. And two of those were seeing eye singles, and one was probably should have been an error. Like, that's not impressive. He needs to hit, he needs to drive the ball. Getting hits is fine, but you also need to actually do something with the ball when you're, you need to drive the ball. And he does have huge exit velos, but it's giving me a little bit of Eric Campbell remembrance. Where I, if you hit the ball really hard, that's cool. But if you hit the ball on the ground 54% of the time, which he is in the major leagues, it's hard to care. And it's going to cap you. I wrote about this in my Brett Beatty article, I feel like a month and a half ago now. It's probably less than that because time has lost all meaning. But you need to get the ball in the air. He needs probably a bit of a swing and approach change. I don't know if the match of the team to do that with him, at least this current iteration of them. But he has a really legitimate so I wonder what that looks like if he actually is able to tap into it, hitting the ball in the air. Number eight is uh, Jacob Reimer, um, a prospect that me and Lucas both love a lot. So to see him at eight maybe seems a little low, but I think it's because the other guys I just think have a little bit more track record in the minors, and I could definitely see myself putting him within the top five this time next year if, this, if these trends continue. Hitting 272, 394, 382, the 382 is too low, slugging. He's going to have to get that up. He is also a 19-year-old playing his first professional baseball. So it's okay that it's that low. It happens. Still 122 WRC+, plus, 22 points above league average. Perfect. Walking 12% of the time, only striking out 20% of the time. Both very interesting. Is playing at fine third base. I don't know if he sticks there long term. I could see it. I could see him moving to the outfield. As of 
this right now, I'm more interested in what the bat's doing and the approach. And the approach is very interesting. He just needs to hit for more power. Gets more power, he's in the top five. Right now, he's not doing that, so he's not doing it. He's not in the top five. That's really the long and short of it. Christian Scott is my ninth prospect. And Christian Scott was a very interesting guy in their draft class last year, two years ago now, 2021. And he was one of those guys who was like, oh, very interesting pick. The old Mets wouldn't have made this pick. And he's kind of just been real solid, really, since then. Um, especially this year. Striking out the world, 2.28 ERA in six games in Brooklyn before getting moved up to Binghamton, and he's been solid there too. He looks like a guy who could be kind of taking the vassal route, where he's the next guy up. He's like the next guy right after him if Tidwell did. They kind of have a bunch of back end of the rotation pitchers right now, and I think Scott has inserted himself into that conversation. I think he's vaulted himself over Hamill because Hamill was walking the entire universe still, and it's a real problem for him. He's not even pitching late into games half the time, I feel, because he's getting to 90 pitches in four innings because he's walking five or six people. It's too much. Um, over Calvin Ziegler, who has been MIA all season, over ever, all the... It's been kind of like a myriad of pitchers that they've drafted, and I think he's the most interesting. Guys like Dylan Tabrake are also interesting, but they don't make this list because he's right now only a reliever, and I'm not putting an only reliever guy in my top 10. If he starts to switch to starter, then we can have a conversation about that. Uh, I think Tyler Stewart is a bit of a worse version of Christian Scott. The slider's a little worse, fastball's a little worse. Which is not a bad thing. That just means he's not as high. I don't think he has the ceiling that Scott has. That's why Scott is in the spot over those guys. Scott, right now, fastball slider, both very interesting. He has like a split change thing going on. It's also very interesting. Just I like him. And I think that there's a chance that he could be a vassal type guy next year where he keeps ascending. And then we're like, hey, he's already in double A. Next year he should make triple A. And then you're talking about you have vassal and Scott as guys who you, who you could call up to make starts. And I'm presuming David Peterson might still be around. Uh, I don't remember his contract situation off the top of my head. Let me check real quick. Tybor McGill is definitely going to be still around. So you suddenly have a little bit more depth than you would think. Yeah, David Peterson's around till 2027. He's, he's got time. Uh, so there's a little more depth next year if Vassal and Scott continue to take steps, and I think they both deserve to be in the top 10. And finally, last but not least, is Brandon Sprout. Sprout is in the top 10. Much like I put Hauk at four, I'm putting Sprout at 10 because he's like a nice little tear break. He, we haven't seen him yet. He's done some interesting things in college. He, he's probably a better prospect this year than he was last year. Also, he has huge holes. He has fastball shape issues. He, his secondary stuff could be a little better. It's more like a some of the parts is greater than each part type thing. I don't remember 100% how that phrase goes, but I think you got my drift. At the end of the day, I think that we I want to see him see if he can take steps forward under the Mets system to put him higher than top ten, or he gets worse and guys get better and he falls back to the mid the mid teens. Right now I think ten is a good spot for him as kind of like a delineation and a line break between the rest of the pro, the, the rest of the system, which is just kind of like eh. it's still a thin system. They still have some guys, it's still a bottom three system in the league, I would say off the top of my head. You could probably convince me to go bottom five, but it's not good. It's not even average. That doesn't mean it can't get there. It's just it's where it is right now with trades and the 
lack of advancement in the front office and how messy that has been for years with hiring and firing Jared Porter because he's a terrible person and having to hire Billy Epler and getting rejected by everyone and not Epler didn't have the greatest reputation as a developmental guy in Anaheim or Los Angeles, whatever you want to say. And that's how you see a lot of the Angels issues with how they've wasted Trout and Otani so far. So it's just kind of a lot of bad stuff. It's We're not really where I thought we were going to be when Cohen blocked the team a few years ago. That doesn't mean we can't get there. It just means a little slower than you would want. So yes, but that's my top 10. I think it's, there's definitely, it's interesting and I think it's a little deeper than normal. But really, there's still, there's still room for improvement, I would say. All right, well, that is our show for the week. Uh, if anyone has any questions, comments, whatever, you could send us an email at our email address from complex to queens at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter and shoot us questions there. I am at Steve Seiper. Lucas is at ElfLawHost343. Ken is at Ken1191. Thomas is at SadMetSeasonSZN. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast from. Rate and review it. And of course, we thank you for listening. And we are Patreon-based, so if you do like our podcast or any of the other ones that are in the Hallmark Apple Network, you can subscribe for $5 a month. So we will be back next week. And until then, love the Mets, love the Mets.